So good to be here um, at Storyline. Our, uh, our team has loved getting to hang out with, with you guys. Um, and it's really fun too. Like I, um, I got to disciple Preston back in the day and we did their premarital counseling, Preston and Lisa Miller. So so fun to see them and so many other friends that are here. Maddie Frazier, um, Michael, uh, just love you guys. So, and love your pastor and his wife. We got to spend some time with them and what a gift to have them shepherding and leading your church. So um, such a joy to be here. Um, well, I'm married to, uh, to Hannah um, and she's here as well. But this is, uh, this is my family here. Nothing uh, says a family picture like a good old belly button from your, uh, your toddler. So uh, that's Jude, belly button and Jude right there. And then um, that's Ezra. He's, uh, he's our three-year-old. And so um, we left them behind in Charlotte with my parents and flew up here and have had no kids and are just living the dream, like sleeping in till 7 a.m., you know? Um, I mean, it's been amazing. Um, no, we don't have to share our ice cream, right? Which we did go to Clementine's, amazing place. Praise God for Clementine's up, up in this city, you know? Like every good gift is from above, so um, we'll love it. But yeah, it's been so fun to be here. Um, and uh, today, I actually want to talk about um, uh, preposition, a preposition, right? Because nothing preaches like a preposition in a grammar lesson, you know? So, um, but I want to talk about the power of a preposition. And so does anyone know what a preposition actually is? Um, I, I did have to go, uh, Google it, but a preposition, it's a small word that helps clarify a noun, okay? So what are some examples of it? Um, under, on, beside, in, by, pretty much every small word is a preposition, um, but uh, they're really small. But you don't want to mess them up, okay? You don't want to mess up a preposition um, because I'll give you an example. Imagine you're at the zoo and there is a hungry meat-eating lion, okay? Um, here are two sentences where all I change is the preposition, but things are a little different, okay? The hungry lion is in the cage. The hungry lion is outside the cage. In one situation, the preposition clarifies you are safe and you're secure and you can enjoy this lion from afar. The other preposition produces much fear that the meat-eating Mufasa at any minute could rip your face off, you know? Um, very different effect from just one little preposition. And there's power in these little prepositions, especially as you read through God's word. And so in our text today, what we're gonna look at is the power of this preposition. And we're gonna see how this one little preposition, it actually is foundational for the entire Christian life. Um, and I'm praying you really leave today, and I even leave today unable to just be complacent or apathetic because of the insane reality of what this preposition means. So I'm gonna read this section of scripture that Logan actually just read for us, but this time as I read it, I want you to look for the preposition that I'm gonna talk about, okay? See if you can figure out which preposition it is that's so key in our text, okay? So I'm gonna read it, and, uh, and you try to find it. Um, it's like I spy of prepositions. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority, in him, maybe you're getting it by now, we'll see. Uh, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay, so did you get it? 
What, what was it? Let's just see. Yeah, in. Yes. Wow, amazing. Uh, in. So walk in. I think I put some examples of the. Of, okay, yeah. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells. You've been filled in him. In him, you were circumcised in um, or I guess this says with, but similar deal there, right? You were buried and raised with him, made alive with him. In him, you have triumphed over rulers and authorities. So why is it so significant? Why is it emphasizing so much that we are in him? This is the doctrine that we call union with Christ. Union with Christ. And it basically means we are connected to Christ um, or united to him in every way. So what's true of him is now true of us. So think of it like marriage, right? Where the two become one and your lives are joined together. It's a picture the Bible even uses, right? Like at the moment of salvation, you're united with Christ and like marriage, your lives become one where your life is joined to Christ and all that is his is now yours. Or to put it another way, union with Christ, it's like the power cord that makes everything in the Christian life possible. Without it, you have nothing. With it, you have everything. So my... um. Uh, this, this might be bad parenting, but uh, I sometimes let my son play with our toaster. Um, it's not plugged in, all right? So back off, right? Don't judge me. Okay, it's not plugged in, um, usually. But uh, he, he can still, like, press all the buttons, right? And he, like, kind of likes to imagine he's, like, toasting his trucks and set them on fire and all this stuff. But he's not really, you know. Um, but one day, I was uh, upstairs with my younger son and changing his diaper. Um, and Ezra was downstairs playing with a supposedly unplugged toaster. And I'm upstairs, and I just all of a sudden hear this, like, <gasps> And he's like freaking out, losing his mind. And so I run downstairs with a half-changed diaper in my son. Like, I'm like, what is going on? And I get down there. Turns out the toaster was plugged in. And so Ezra's truck was on fire and his hand was burned. So it was a, it was a tough, tough day for us. Um, so he had scorched his hand and it was, a, it was a tough afternoon after that. But what happened, the toaster was the same old toaster, right? The difference was it was plugged into the source of power. So you may outwardly, look like the same old person, but in Christ, you're plugged into the source of power that created the world that now lives in you. John 15, five says, abide in me for apart from me, you can do nothing. So like a toaster disconnected from its power source within it, like with, without him, you can't do anything, but with him, we have all we need. So this passage, it highlights the power that we are plugged into and all that is true of us because of one little preposition right? In Christ. So here's how the passage starts off. It says this about our union with Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So as you received in him, so walk in him, there's our preposition, or some translations say continue in him. Okay, so how did you begin in Christ initially? Like how did all things get started? What did you do to begin a relationship with him? Nothing, right? Like you began with your need and this passage is saying you also continue with your need and you mature in the Christian life the same way you began, dependence on him, all Christ. What makes you Christian is nothing that you have done. It's simply you've been united to Christ. And it's why the text says you are both rooted at the start but also built up in him until the finish. And I think it's just easy. It's so easy for me too, like to believe this lie in the Christian life that um, we could contribute nothing to our salvation but now that God saved us, he kind of expects us to be spiritual all-stars, you know? It's like you were helpless and dead before, but now that you're alive, you better do better and read your Bible and do justice and go to church and all these things and don't sin. As if God is like, look at how much work it took to save you. 
here's some instructions. I'm going to go on vacation. That was a lot of work, right? Good luck, you know. Uh, That's not how it works, right? He doesn't just save you and give you instructions and peace out. He saves us and now lives in us so we don't just begin in his power, but we continue in his power for all of our life. But the text continues, and it says, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So why would Paul throw in here abounding in thanksgiving, right? Seems kind of random, but I think it's because as you continue in the Christian life in Christ, if you're anything like me, you find a lot of reasons to complain, right? Things get hard and there's a lot of reasons to complain. And Paul's basically saying, as you walk with Jesus, you realize in all situations, you actually have reason to rejoice, not because of your circumstances, but because of who you're united to. And we live in a pretty cynical culture. Um, and uh, in the past couple years, I've just noticed this more and more, especially on the college campus. Um, and I'm sure you guys feel that here, but um, with college students especially, like they just seem to be more cynical, right? And there's some good reason for that. There's just been a lot of abuses of power that have been exposed, a lot of injustice we've seen in our nation. So there's some good reason for it. Um, but like a lot of college students, it's like, and I'm sure students around this city just don't, it seems like they don't, trust people, right? It's like, like if we're doing something on campus as simple as like, uh, like passing out free donuts, you know, um, I'll go around campus, pass them out, and students are like, what is this for? Like, why are, you, why are you doing this? Did you lace this with something? Like, what's going on right now? What is it? You know, it's like, we, they can't just receive a free donut, you know? Um, or if we're like smiling, they're like, why are you smiling? Are you, are you fake? Like, you're not authentic. Be real. You got to be real, you know? Um, and so uh, it's important, right, to be real about what's hard. But the thing is, in Christ, like everything is not bad in our lives, right? In fact, at any moment in Christ, we have far more reasons to rejoice than complain and be cynical. And look, life is hard. I'm not at all minimizing suffering and the hard things that do happen in life. I'm just trying to help us maximize the reality that Jesus is still good. And what does it say to our world if we're more known by what we complain about and are cynical towards rather than what we rejoice and delight in? And so if you're anything like me, it's easy to forget thousands of reasons we have to rejoice in Christ when one or two or a couple things are just going wrong in life, right? When your, toast, when your son burns his hand on a toaster, right? Like everything is just, what is going on today? And our default response, I think, is to dwell on the things that are going wrong rather than to abound in Thanksgiving. So I kind of think of it like this. It's kind of like you're going on a hike. Uh, with a friend and you're going on a hike and you're like going to this beautiful mountain and right in front of you, you see this mountain, right? It's like incredible. It's got a waterfall. It's got some lush flowers and hydrangeas and petunias and all the, I don't even know those things can go together, but it's just like epic, right? Um, it's lush and you're like, this is amazing and this is just majestic. And, all, and there's a sun that's setting behind you and it's perfect. And then you trip on a little like molehill, right? Um, and you kind of you stumble. Imagine that moment, you're like, this is unbelievable. This is the worst. Life is terrible. I can't believe this molehill's here, right? Your friend would be like, bro, like it's, a, it's tiny, right? Like look up, get your eyes up. Look at this mountain. You have a thousand reasons to rejoice. Forget a little molehill, right? And I think often um, this pa- what this passage is doing is causing us to not lose sight of the mountain of reasons to rejoice because of some tiny molehills. Again, it's not minimizing what's hard. It's just maximizing how good and beautiful God is. So it's causing us to not lose sight of the mountains of reasons to rejoice. So here's what we're going to do the rest of our time. I'm going to give you three mountains to rejoice in when life gets hard and it's easy to complain, 
right? Here's three mountains to rejoice in that this text um, gives us. And I'm just praying this leaves us all in awe of the reality of what the implications are because we're united to Christ. Okay, so here, here, here's what they are. And they're all true because we're united to Christ. In Christ, we are full. In Christ, we are forgiven. And in Christ, we are free. In Christ, we're full. In Christ, we're forgiven. And in Christ, we are free. So first, in Christ, you are full. Colossians 2, 9 through 10, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay, so the opposite of being full is what? Like being empty, right? Um, And lacking something. And I think we live in a culture too where we're just constantly confronted with our lack, right? Like every five seconds, your phone is telling you you need to update something, right? I'm like, every time I've gone to Chipotle in the last six months, I have to update it every single time and it's just, it's killing me. Um, But we're always confronted with our lack, right? And there's something wrong, some new and improved version or social media um, or even in relationships. Like we're prone to hear what's going well in someone else's life and be like, man, I just, I'm lacking in that. I don't have that. My life doesn't look like that. My kids don't behave like that. My GPA isn't even close to that. I didn't get that internship or that job. I don't have that kind of romance or that kind of marriage. We're just faced with what we lack. Or even the daily decisions we face, right? Like small ones or um, what do I say in this conversation? What do I do right now in this moment, in this situation? It leaves us feeling lacking in wisdom to know what we should do. But here's what's true of you now that you are in Christ. The fullness of deity fills you, which means it doesn't get any more full than that, right? Like it's literally impossible. And here's what is important to understand about divinity versus humanity, right? Humanity has limits, you know? Like I can give a certain amount, um, but at some point I've got to take a nap, I got to go to sleep, I got to have some uh, quarrelsome pour over uh, coffee, you know, the Costa Rica one is amazing. Um, so, uh, but I got to have like some coffee. I, gotta, I need more funds in the bank account. Like I have limits, right? I could give until I hit empty, but then I, uh, I'm spent, right? But God doesn't have an empty on his gas tank, right? Like it's maxed out at full and it keeps spilling over. And that's why so much of scripture highlights God's abundance because he doesn't give from a place where he's close to empty, but he's so filled that he can't help but give and give and give. And it never depletes him. So that kind of fullness is what fills us in unlimited supply. So whenever we feel our lack, I think it's often because we're more focused on our lack than God's limited supply. Right? When we feel our lack, it's often because we're more focused on our lack than God's limitless supply and what he has. So what this means for you is that because he is the prince of peace right now, you can have peace and unlimited supply, even in the middle of stress and anxiety because the prince of peace lives in you. Because he's the wise counselor, you can have wisdom and unlimited supply when you aren't sure what to do or what decision to make because the wise counselor lives in you. So much of the Christian life, and this is so simple, but this has changed my life. So much of it is just saying this one statement. I can't, but Christ, you can. I can't, but you can. Because you filled me and I lack nothing in you. Psalm 3410, it says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Like, do you believe that? Do you think more about what you lack than what you possess in Christ? And if I can just be real with you guys for a minute, um, I think a lot of times it, I often think like, man, I don't really know what I'm doing in life. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like I feel weak and insecure a lot of times more often than not. I don't know 
how to parent my kids and discipline them well. Uh, I don't know how often to be a good friend or counsel struggling college students. I don't know often what to say in certain situations or how to say the right thing to people. And on top of that, I often forget to cancel my free Apple TV subscriptions and, uh, and unload the dishwasher, you know? So, um, but it's why I start like every day on my knees in prayer rather than my feet in work because I know like I don't have the strength, the wisdom, or the ability to do even close to what I know I should be doing for the day, right? So as I'm on my knees in prayer, I just, um, every morning, I just pray and say out loud, God, I can't, but you can. And that is the prayer and the confidence of a Christian, right? You can't, but the fullness of deity who dwells in you can. So um, our strength and ability today, it's not gonna come from anything inside of us, right? It's not gonna come from, um, I know my strength's not gonna come from this dad bod, but it's gonna come from the God who lives in me who can. So where do you feel your lack or your need? Um, and where do you need to draw on his fullness? Okay, so second, um, in Christ we are forgiven, right? So in Christ we're full. That's the first mountain we have to just rejoice in. Second, in Christ we are forgiven. It says this in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, this, this probably isn't like news to a lot of people um, that you're like forgiven, right? We maybe have heard that before that God forgives. Um, but I think often that truth becomes so familiar and like cliche to us that we forget how insane and mind-blowing it is, right? Uh, and so I wanna just highlight a couple of things that hopefully help that reality that you're forgiven uh, kind of come alive in a fresh way today. So it says, God has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and it says, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. Okay, so according to this verse, we have a record of debt that was against us. And what Paul is doing here, he's referring to something in the ancient Roman world where you would go into the Roman court and you would um, like have this sheet of paper that would have like all of your, um, all of your uh, crimes or whatever that you committed. And you would show that court um, this piece of paper and all that you had done, and that is your record of debt. And then, after they read over that, they would kind of give you a punishment based on that record that they've seen. And in the same way, we all have a record of debt of all we've done against God. And no matter who you are, it's a long list, right? Like, just think, if I, if I put your thought life, <clears throat> just from the last month, on this screen behind me, if you're anything like me, that would be terrifying, right? Like, now, I'm not just talking about your actions, I'm talking about your thoughts, right? You'd be like, oh, geez, like, don't, you know, watch that. Or, or maybe your text messages, right? we put those up. You'd be like, oh, gosh, yikes, you know? Uh, because we're, we're often, we're selfish, we're unloving, we're jealous, we're self-absorbed, we're materialistic sometimes, and those are just thoughts, and we often act on those. And the law requires that because of the wrong we have done is against a perfect, infinite God, the punishment is infinite separation. But it says here that God canceled it so there was no debt left. But How? Well, he took that record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. See, back in the day when they would crucify someone, they would put it, um, they would put like above their heads what they were being crucified for, right? So you remember in the Gospels, Jesus has King of Jews written above his head. But though King of Jews was written above his head, what actually happened on the cross is that God put our record of debt over Christ's head. And what happened is that he took the record of debt of the entire world and nailed it over Jesus' head. So on the cross, Jesus takes our record of debt so we could take his record of righteousness. And even though you may know that, it's easy to forget. Or, if you're like me, it's easy to believe the lies of the enemy and of your sinful flesh that, um, man, eventually God will get to a point 
where his forgiveness runs out and we're met by his wrath instead, right? Um, Martin Luther used to say that um, he would have these like dreams or this dream where he was sitting in a classroom and uh, Satan was like his teacher and Satan was like writing on this chalkboard and accusing him of all these things, right? And so Satan would write on the wall um, like greedy, selfish, worthless, liar, you know, all these things. And, um, and in his dream, Luther said he would, uh, he would get up and he would go up to the board and he would say, you know what? You're right. And he would add to those things, right? Like you forgot some, sexually immoral, disobedient, uh, unkind, all these things. And then he would say, but you actually forgot the most important thing, Satan. And he would grab a big red marker and he would write over all those things in the chalkboard, paid in full, paid in full. That record of debt has been paid in full and nailed to the cross where Jesus hung. So whenever you and I feel condemned and we feel shame, you say, it's, it's true, like I've done those things, but what is even more true is what Jesus declares over that, paid in full, paid in full. When Satan brings up what you looked at on a screen last week, you say, paid in full. When he brings up how you lack self-control and have lived a self-indulgent life that has logged way too much time on TikTok or HBO Max or whatever, you say, paid in full. When he brings up how you lashed out in anger and said things you shouldn't have, you say, paid in full. When he brings up how ashamed you would be if people just knew your thought life and the dark, shameful things that come to your mind, you say, you forgot one thing, paid in full, paid in full. Whenever he brings up your past sin, you remind him what is presently true. It's been paid in full. It's been nailed to the cross. And now what God sees is no longer that sin, but he now sees the victorious risen Christ living in you. So not only did Christ die on the cross to forgive you, but he also rose from the grave three days later. So he doesn't just take your punishment, but he also gives you his power, his resurrection power. And that's where our last point comes from, that in Christ, we are free. Free from the power of sin and Satan, right? And here's what it says in Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the final verse, it shows us that in Christ, not only do we have fullness and not only do we have forgiveness, but we also have freedom from the power of Satan and sin. So it says Jesus disarmed rulers and authorities. In, in the book of Colossians, rulers and authorities, it's often talking about spiritual um, rulers and authorities. So Satan, demonic, um, evil forces, um, and, uh, and all of that. So disarm here. It just, it, it simply means to strip of power, right? To strip something of its power. So what happened here um, is Jesus has completely stripped Satan and demonic forces of evil and sin and all of that of its power, right? So what that means, like, although spiritual warfare is real, um, God and Satan, it's important to know, like, they're not in some cosmic battle, right? Where we're, like, unsure, it's like Star Wars, right? We're, like, unsure who's gonna win, dark side, you know, whatever. Um, but we actually know it's a decisive victory, right? Satan has lost and Christ is victorious. So it might feel like at times Satan is winning. It might feel like at times sin has had the last word in your life. It might feel like at times evil is winning, but it, it doesn't. Jesus has disarmed it and defeated it. And John 1, 5 says the light um, shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness may feel real and it is, but the light shines and wins in the end. So the moment Satan even thought he won his most decisive victory ever, right? When Jesus was hanging naked and bloody on a cross and darkness swept over the land. That was when Satan seemed to be winning. But then what happened? Three days later, 
it would be seen that Jesus has disarmed all of his power and he rose from the grave, showing he's victorious once and for all. So, although um, Satan, evil forces, sin, they have no power, they're still present, right? Present, accusing you, trying to condemn you and feeding you lies, okay? So I kind of like to think of it like this. It's kind of like, um, imagine that you are a, like a, a cashier um, at, I don't know, like Walmart or something like that. And um, you're, you're a cashier and you're doing your thing and someone comes up and they pull, uh, they pull like what looks like a gun on you. Um, that would be terrifying in those moments, right? You'd be like, this, this is horrifying, right? I'm, I'm freaking out right now, um, okay? But um, what would give you confidence and freedom from fear in that moment? aside from maybe like all the Avengers sweeping in and destroying that guy, right? Um, what would give you confidence is if you knew that the gun that they were holding was disarmed of power and was actually like a squirt gun full of bubbles, right? Then you'd be like, try it, Psh, bubbles. <laughs> you know, it'd be like fun. You'd be like, whatever. The threat would feel real, but the reality would be it holds no power. Jesus has stripped Satan's weapon and, and stripped all of sin's power of having any power over you so that the enemy is present because you're in Christ, it no longer holds power. So here's what that means. When you feel the enemy accusing you, saying you aren't doing enough, God can never love you, that feels like a threat, but it's a squirt gun, right? The God who disarms Satan says, I actually love you, and I'm for you, just look at the cross. When you feel the enemy accusing you, saying look at what all these people around you have that you don't have, God's holding out on you. Surely he doesn't have your good in mind. Look at what happened to you. The God who disarms Satan says, you actually lack no good thing. I'm a father who has your eternal good in mind. Romans 8.32 says, I didn't spare my own son for you, so if I didn't do that, how much more so am I willing, graciously gonna give you all things? When the, you feel the enemy accusing you, saying, look at your kids, look at your marriage, look at your resume, you think God is proud of that? You think God wants to call you his child when your family or your life look like that? The God who disarms Satan says, hey, I took that record of debt. And all I see now is the perfect righteousness of Christ. I came for sinners, not the righteous. And that is my child with whom I am well pleased. Don't let the enemy's accusations hold any power over you. It's a squirt gun with bubbles, right? So this passage ends and it says, 2.15, um, that he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the imagery here, it's going back to what would happen when Roman generals would win in a far off war. Okay, so they would defeat an opposing army and then they would march them back to Rome. Um, and at the front of the march would be the general who won. Behind him would be the victorious armor, or army. And then behind them, like walking in ultimate shame and defeat, would be in chains the defeated general and his entire army behind him. So they would walk down the streets of Rome with all of like Roman, uh, um, like all of Rome kind of crowding the streets, looking at their defeat and powerlessness as they're on their way to their execution. So people would line the streets and see this, and these great armies that once frightened them have now been completely stripped of their power and uh, are no longer any reason for them to fear. And that is what God has done to sin and to Satan and his demonic forces through Christ's life and death and resurrection. When Christ rose, he triumphed over Satan, and now Satan is on his death march, right? And it's been openly displayed that he lost and Christ has won, so we have nothing to fear. Freedom from power of sin, freedom from power of Satan, and freed from fear completely. So it may feel like Satan or sin or evil is winning, but he's on a death march, and he knows it. And Satan can do nothing to defeat you. All he can do now is discourage you with a squirt gun. Satan has been disarmed. 
So I want to just close with this. Um, recently, I was riding up an elevator uh, with, with Ezra, um, the, the burn toaster son, um, Ezra. And uh, we're, we're riding up there. This is not uh, the same day or anything. So, uh, But anyway, we're riding up this elevator, and um, the lights go out. And Ezra is, is like kind of freaking out. He's like, Daddy, I'm scared. Like, what's going on? You know, I'm scared. And I was like, hey, buddy, it's okay. Like, I'm right here. You're going to be good. Um, and he was like, yeah, but, but I can't see you. I can't see you. Um, he's like, I hear you, but I can't see you. And so I said, it's okay, buddy. So I kind of I grab him. I grab his hand. I pull him in close. And I'm like, see, buddy, I'm right here. It's going to be okay, right? I'm with you. And what Ezra needed in those moments was not just to hear my voice, but to be assured of my presence, And here's what you need to know. You don't just have God's words that give you some instructions for how to live your life. You actually have God's presence that empowers you in all of life. And because you have him, the mighty God of the universe, not just his words, but his presence, you are full, you're forgiven, and you're freed. So are we gonna walk in his fullness or in our lack? Are we going to walk in, our, in his forgiveness or in our shame? And are we going to walk in his freedom from sin and the schemes of the enemy or in our seeming defeat and fear? So right now, what I want to do is actually just give you guys a little time to reflect and just think about what do you need to remember is true of you because you're in Christ? Do you need to remember that you have his fullness right now and you actually lack nothing? Do you need to remember that you're forgiven when you feel shame? Or do you remember that you're free from the power of sin and Satan? And so um, Lucas is gonna play on the keys a little bit and just give you guys some time to reflect. So you can journal, um, you can pray. Um, just do this uh, to yourself, right? And just reflect, just spend some time with the Lord and just allow him to um, speak to you in these moments, right? Um, you can abound in thanksgiving, um, in prayer, uh, on your, in your journal, whatever, and just praise God that these things are true. We have his fullness we have his forgiveness, and we have his freedom. So um, as Luke's play, uh, plays, you just, you pray, you spend some time with the Lord, and I'll close this out in, uh, in a minute or two.